welcome to At the Table, a play reading series, brought to you by Charging Moose Media. In this episode, we're chatting with the cast of Right as Rain by Joe Swenson. Enjoy! Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, hello. I'm so thrilled to be back here interviewing this fabulous cast for this delightful show. I love this. I love this play. Ned, you found this one, yeah? Yeah. As you'll hear on our playwright interview, Joe and I grew up together, and um, I didn't realize he was writing, actually. I, I didn't know. And he, we put out the call for plays, and he shot me a message on Facebook being like, hey, man, I've written, like... 30 20 minute shows i'd love for you to check out a couple of them i was like what and he sent us this piece and i called rachel and i was like rachel we have the sweetest piece Uh, we get wonderful submissions but we rarely get sweet and so i immediately wanted to do this one and i also immediately was like we need to put this in the queue and let's find the the crew and uh, as rachel can attest you guys were were choice number 1 on our list of actors we would like to work with for this one so thank you it's true. thank you so nice. thanks for being here today so I'm going to start on my left, and um, I call you DC, and so now I'm going to ask you on air okay. how you would like to be introduced, or why don't you introduce yourself to the, the good people? Oh, uh, DC is good. Fabulous. So introduce yourself and tell us how you are. I'm DC Anderson, and I am I'm doing well. I, I got lucky sort of mid-career, and I did a, a long running tour. And what that did is that taught me how to just sort of go, okay, here we are. This is the circumstance. This is where I'm living. This is how I get here. This is how I get there. This is how I do that. And so I'm remarkably comfortable with all of this. Of course, incredibly uncomfortable with the pain that the pandemic is causing. Um, Of course, yeah. But in terms of just individual survival that's a skill that i developed and and so i this is where i am this is i hardly ever leave the apartment i've only been out to go to the grocery shop and then every once in a while i'll take a walk but most of the time i stay inside and there's a pile of rubber gloves on the on the floor by my door to, well, who doesn't have one of those how many t- <laughs> do you get all the time that's how i know all the time so that's how i know whether i looked down and go okay i've been out 17 times because there's 38 or whatever one of our gloves on the floor. <laughs> so that's that's. DC, what I do. where are you? Are you are you in New York? I am. I'm in Washington Heights, and uh, like oh, David lovely. was saying earlier, we we uh, both of our haunts. It turns out is Fort Tryon Park. So that's where I oh. go, and that that keeps me sane as well. You have lovely greenery behind you, which I don't attribute to New York apartments very oh, often. That's... So I thought maybe you'd escaped somewhere exciting. No, I have I have uh, 54 plants in my apartment. I I'm real into plants, and I like those ones that hang, and so and they're hanging from everything. Because my my apartment is very little storage, so what I have is a bunch of towers, you know, those metal towers that look really industrial. And so I cover with them with the plants that hang, and then I just turn them around to get it whatever I need, and then turn them back around, and it so it ends up looking like I'm in a botanical garden. But I'm really in amongst all my stuff or my crap, as I would call it. But you know, take a good look <laughs> at it. Well, it looks great. One of the things we're hearing this is this repeating chorus that somehow actor life prepares very well for this sort of dystopian moment. There is something very Zen-like about being in and out of work as an actor. I think of my work when I'm in a production or when I'm on a show as very repetition-based and very like, I get up in the morning, I eat this thing, I do this thing, these are my lines, and and I feel the same way. But when I'm out of work, a lot of my job is to contain my own anxiety about the moment that I'm 
the moment that I'm in and the ways to distract from that and the ways to kind of narrow focus or narrow scope. And you you mentioned DC that that came from national touring, which makes a lot of sense to mm-hmm. me that you're you're at the place you're at. This you're very be here now on a national tour. Can either of you speak to the idea of how acting or performance has prepared you for this particular moment, or hasn't prepared you for this particular moment? I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I guess just just that it it, it is. Some days, sometimes you're working 40-hour weeks and sometimes you're working one-hour weeks. And so we have to stay interested in our lives. And so that means we have to stay interested in a lot of different things and motivated. And there has to be a very strong belief in possibility. I think that's another thing that, that an actor... When I meet an actor who's lost his sense of, or his, his delight with possibility, then I, I wonder about that person because I realize that that until, you know, I'm, I'm 65 years old and I still have very strong belief in possibility. So I think that being in the middle of a pandemic, I still have to believe the possibility that we will get out of it. And I still have to believe the possibility that there will be good from it. And and I, I look around, we look around and, you know, from Fort Tryon Park, we look at that bridge and don't we see the bridge more clearly than the George Washington Bridge more clearly than I've ever seen it. And, and there's there's just... It's given me just a lot of opportunity to think and to sit and enjoy performances online of people. I've been watching Cheryl Wheeler. I've been watching uh, Mary Chapin Carpenter. I've been watching Melissa Etheridge every single day at six o'clock. And I tell you, if I meet her, I will break down in tears because she <laughs> she has literally, she, you know, I it, it, she's like my family in my apartment every day, six o'clock. And I, I'm with there with Melissa Etheridge and she's so loving and she is so she she gives us a little pep talk every day. Listener of the pod, Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I get through Melissa Etheridge and Cheryl Miller and Mary Chapin Carpenter and talking to my sisters. So I actually, I find that I actually sit and listen more than I, I have before. I've, I'm usually on, okay, got to be somewhere at 10 o'clock. Got an audition tomorrow that I should be memorizing lines for. Um, do I still know those lines? You know, it, it's... I am literally so present that it is surprising to me that I used to think I was someone who was present. And now I know that there were times when I was certainly not. And the other thing is, one quick thing, is I woke up one morning from a bad dream. And I said to myself, why are you having these nightmares? And why, when you get up, do you continue the story in a bad way? In the sense that my nightmares, usually I wake up when something's about to kill me. And then I wake up and I think, oh, my God, I'm, I'm dead now. I'm, you know, instead of, oh, I got away, you know. <laughs> so I decided that at the, from here on out in my dreams, when I have a nightmare, I'm going to wake up because they never kill me. I'm going to decide, oh, I turned on them and I said, be gone, you, you louse. And they were like, oh, OK. <laughs> DC, uh, are you accepting new therapy patients? Because I would, I would. I would show up weekly and and ask you to help me do the work. This is incredible. (laughs) Alternately, are you you now preaching at another super church in the Midwest somewhere? Yes. Yes. I would also show up weekly ready to do the work. (laughs) Bouncing off of that, there is something about the set of actors' skills that requires us also to hone in on whatever it is we're focusing on or choosing to focus on in a way that forces us at least some of the time to quiet 
the scary around us or quiet the danger around us. We've talked about the particular discomfort that comes from not having life or death problems in the middle of this trauma, that, that everyone gets to experience the thing that is scary and bad about this for them, right? Yes. Uh, that um, I feel very fortunate that we are healthy mm-hmm. and we haven't left our house in 60 days as of today. Yeah. Um, we've, well, we've left twice. And there's something very actor lifestyle about being able to experience and acknowledge the ways that is hard while also recognizing this broader scope of scary and danger and and worry in the world that that you have to focus in on what is yours and that that there's nothing selfish about that that there's something really thoughtful and present about it mm-hmm. um who knew that acting was giving us positive socialization skills the whole time right Yes. I had no idea. Um, David, do you have anything I, I would love to hear? I know we, we, we can make this true conversation. We don't have to wait till your interview portion. Well, but I don't have anything nearly as uplifting and, and I don't have Oh, that's any... okay. Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not who I am. Apparently, DC got my portion of cheerfulness. And so now I'm a little, <laughs> I'm at a slight deficit. No, you know, <laughs> no, we've really run the gamut. We've had actors on here who've said like, I'm not finding joy in it. I'm not having fun. I'm not enjoying myself. This is scary. This is, and I feel like all of that is valuable or valid. Mostly what I've done since all of this started is try to maintain basically the same lifestyle and routine I had before it started. And the only yeah. the only difference is I can't go down to Columbus Circle. I can't go on the subway anywhere. I can't go to some of the places I would go, even just the health food store. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't get to, we're not doing our outdoor Shakespeare. We're not rehearsing anything. We're not getting together to do play readings. And And a couple of the day job gigs got canceled that I used to do. But most of my gig has been narrating audiobooks from home. So I just try to stay regular with that. I get up, I walk the dog, I come home, I have coffee and breakfast, I get in the booth. If I don't have a book, like now I just finished a book the other day, it actually had to think, oh, fuck, what am I going to do to occupy my time? I mean, I have another book to narrate, but I don't really have to start recording it till June because that's when the book is being released. Um, so I have the, I have the rest of May to fill with things and I have to find something to do. Um, usually for the last three weeks, for most of the time that we've been in this situation, I've been pretty busy. So being able to maintain that same routine has allowed me to sort of not feel it the way other people have felt it. But I have also noticed because I am sort of trapped at home and I have a, an apartment mate. I share the joint with a, a friend of mine who owns it, and I rent one of the rooms. And he's not going to work, so now I'm trapped with him all the time, which is usually not the case. I have a slightly higher level of anxiety that I notice underneath it all. It's like I'm really, I'm really, oh, sure. I'm really unhappy with this. <laughs> I'm so much happier yeah. when when he has some place to go, and I get to make believe I live by myself again. Jumping in real quick, Dave, you said we're not doing Shakespeare in the Park. We're not doing play readings. Who's we? I've been part, well, a good friend of mine, I met him in 2002, has a theater company called The Drilling Company. And we did two things. We used to run out of a a space on 78th Street called the 78th Street Theater Lab, right above Stand Up New York Comedy Club on 78th and Broadway. And we did mostly short play projects where uh, Hamilton Clancy and or Joe would... uh, it's his theater company. He sort of runs it. He introduces himself as Hamilton professionally, but after you know him for 10 minutes, his name is Joe. <laughs> 
Joe is kind of plain, so he doesn't use it professionally. Joe, who wants to be Joe? But I mean, that's who he is to everybody else. But he's he's become one of my best friends over the ensuing 15 years or whatever it's been. So anyway, the drilling company did short play projects around a theme, and we'd collect 10-minute plays and do... It was supposed to be like two hours, but it would end up being three. But we did some really... I mean, we've met some really good playwrights. We did... The origin. We did the original one act version of Will Eno of a Will Eno play. Um, huh. Which what's the one? Cool. Tom Paine, a play about uh, nothing or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did the one act version of that, and then he developed it into a full length. And uh, but there had been other plays that, and then eventually what we did was uh, started taking some of our favorite or best or most hanging around playwrights and develop their full length works. And so we would do a program of shorts in one season. And then in the spring, we would do a full length. And then uh, we got involved with Shakespeare in the parking lot, which somebody else started, but Joe got involved with, and then we took it over all together. There was down on the Lower East. Such a great organization. Down on the Lower East side on Ludlow between Delancey and Broome. There is a municipal. There was a municipal parking lot. There used to be a storefront theater across the street from it called Expanded Arts, run by a woman named Jennifer Spar, and for a while her husband Robert Spar, but they split up. And they started in the summer. The Lower East back in the nineties, the Lower East Side was dead after five o'clock. It wasn't a hop and party zone. It was just a business district and locals, and so that municipal parking lot was empty. And so in the summer, Jennifer just decided, let's throw up some chairs and do Shakespeare. What the hell? It's free. Let's just do it. And they did. And then life moved on and she moved away from the city and some of her friends kept it going for a while. And that's when Hamilton got involved, became Hamilton's passion. And so we've, we kept Shakespeare in the parking lot, two shows in July and August going until 2014 when they tore that parking lot up. And now it's a giant condo building. Ah. We then found a parking lot behind the Clemente Soto Velez Art Center. I don't know if you know it. It's uh, It's got two theaters inside, and it's like an old school that they rent out for uh, artist studio space. Their original mission statement was really for Hispanic artists and Latino artists, but they had this parking lot in the back of the building that's fenced in, and we went and approached them, and they let us in. And they let us do shows there. And so we've been doing shows there for the last five years. Then we got invited to be in Bryant Park. So for five years, we've been doing shows in Bryant Park in the summer. So, yeah, I've done a lot of Shakespeare. That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah. I know both of you uh, identify. You get to do a lot of different parts of performance and art and creation. I know that we talked a little bit briefly. Were we on camera or or on on mic when we were talking about music um david you were saying that you've played guitar for 25 years um yeah but i've i've never been in a band ever i've sat in with people because they were nice to me (laughs) (laughs) because maybe i'm just not a social person or maybe i've had social anxieties i'm like i have no idea i just was never in a band i never made that happen i was probably a little self-conscious about my playing compared to the people i knew everybody i knew was always better than me it was like Um, but I play acoustic guitar at home. And so I've taught myself and I've become pretty decent at acoustic, acoustic guitar. And I have, uh, played for our Shakespeare shows. Sometimes I play my guitar and like I did just last summer when we did Othello and I played Iago and there's the Kanak and Clink bit where they get drunk. He gets everybody drunk so that he can set up, um, what's his name? 
I played guitar for that. I had this little travel guitar that I brought on stage, and we mic'd it up, and it was totally fun. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, is there a musician that you've been listening to, uh, 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 Melissa Etheridge style? Is there somebody that you've been, well, or an album that you've been going back to? Not really, except when John Prine passed away, I went on a John Prine jag. Um, Absolutely. And yeah. And last night I was actually listening to The Doors. God bless The Doors. <laughs> well, yeah, they're just a really great band. Um very talented. Yeah, well, I was a prog rock kid, so so I liked uh, the old Todd Rundgren and Utopia and, you know, Yes and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and all that stuff. Um, although later I found, later I discovered jazz and I, I listened to jazz radio in the morning on my dog walk, uh, WBGO. It's my morning thing. Nice. Yeah, and I've always been a Dylan fan, so I learned some of his songs on guitar and Oh, I just learned, you know what I learned? Sometimes I hear a song and I think, I bet I could play that. That's a cool song. And then I have to go learn it. So I heard, you, you, you all know the Depeche Mode? Remember them? Yes. Yeah. They had a song called uh, Personal Jesus. And Johnny, and Johnny Cash recorded it. And the Johnny Cash version kicks ass, but it's really just simple. Really? It's really rootsy. He's just him on guitar thumping away. Uh your own personal Jesus. And it's just a guitar. And it's <sighs> so easy to play. And it's a great song. So I had to learn that. Now I play that. Oh, that's that's cool. I never knew about that recording. Oh, that's awesome. It's awesome. We could throw that recording up on our website, couldn't we, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can put, we'll embed a YouTube up on the, the page on our website. So, so yeah. listeners, check that out. DC, is there another, is there an album um, beyond the Melissa Etheridge? Is there an album or, or musical uh, anything that's really hitting you or you've been returning to? Um, there's time? this there's this artist that I met when I was living out in L.A. and her name is Teresa Tadori. And so I've been listening to a lot of Teresa Tadori. She's she's written some amazing songs, one called Such Fine Things. And uh, How do you spell Tadori? Oh, T-U-D-U-R-Y. And so I've been listening to her uh, and looking at her YouTube videos because she can be hysterical and then she can be incredibly moving. And, and she's got a song called um, Put Mrs. God on the Phone. It's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> so good. And, and such so fun good. Things. Yeah. So that's what I've been listening to. Ned, is there, we, you and I haven't done this one in a while. Is there a, an album or a, a song that's hitting you? Yeah, I talk about this a lot because a lot of people have considered me my whole life to be a music snob. And in the last year, I've gotten really into like a current 20-somethings pop band. And I can't stop yes, listening. You have. It's mm -hmm. this band called AJR. They're from, I believe they're from here in New York City. And they have this album that came out last year, the year before, called Neo Theater. And the thing about AJR is they're very theatrical and all of their albums had overtures, like actual musical theater style overtures that was the entire album in one track. And with Neo Theater, they did something different that I can't stop thinking about, which is they produced a fake Disney song where it, it's like old school style. It feels like you're listening to When You Wish Upon a Star. And they recorded it as the opening track to the album. And then every other song on the album samples it and like degrades it in some way. <laughs> and then the the whole piece ends with this, there's this thing that I've talked about with my own art all the time is whenever I make something and I release it to the world, people always ask me, that was awesome. What are you going to do next? What's next? And um, I hate that question because I'm still in this moment of like catharsis from releasing something and I just want to live there. And 
The final track on this album, Neo Theater, is called We Can't Wait to See What You Do Next. And it's about AJR being like, how exciting is it? We just finished an album. And the Disney chorus that sang the opening track is spends the whole song asking them what their next album is. And the whole song is like a rejection <laughs> of that idea. And so this album really hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting from like, a, a pop album of the 2000s, 2020s now, because it just, um, it, a it asks a lot of questions that I didn't realize I'd been asking for my entire creative career. So it's like the perfect genesis of how I feel about art inside like very produced pop music. Wow. Yeah, all right. What have you been listening to, Rachel? Ooh, I, um, I keep going back to, I have an Essentials album of um, Hugh Masekela. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, and it's just this is, you know, I don't know. There's something about listening to that music, and it is, it's like a retrospective. It's not like a specific album that I like about how the weather is turning right now, and there's a lot of joy in spite of the fact that there's obviously, like, a lot happening in this music, right? There's a lot, there's a lot of social commentary. There's a lot about the political moment where a lot of this music was created, and yet that's so joyful that I'm finding I'm finding very resonant right now. Do you like Fela Kuti? I do, and we live next to the shrine, which is um, and Yatenga, so it's which is always like um, been really fun to like have that connection to this like at least an homage to that yeah. historical um, piece, but also just they they in in grand tradition they have very cool artists playing all the yeah. time. Um, but yes, yeah, stuff, um, that whole, I, it's been, it hasn't been as many kind of straight through albums. It's been, it's been essentials. And also I uncovered, um, when my father passed, um, uh, one of the things that I, uh, that I inherited was, uh, I have three sisters and I, uh, so I inherited a quarter of the, uh, record collection. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, so I've been going through, um, these, uh, some of them in immaculate uh, uh, conditions. Some of them were kind of wrecked freshman year at Emerson in the early 70s, so crackly and not very <laughs> good condition. I've been listening through all these great albums, and so the other day we threw on the Woodstock uh, double album, and we were oh, just a lot listening of A lot of joints got rolled on that album. You just know that's true, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just can hear it. Oh, God. It's just, I just love the liveliness of that live album in the middle of it. You know, David Crosby is like, I can't hear my guitar in the middle of a song. Like, doesn't wait. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, this is the perfect time for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Just great. In the middle of it, they congratulate somebody in the audience who told them that um, his wife just had a baby, like, in the field. But they can't, <laughs> nobody can remember. Oh, God. Nobody can remember what the dude's name is. So they're just, like, congratulating that dude. <laughs> it's just so. Nice. Yeah, there's something about, yeah. It's been it's been a lot of kind of um, revisiting music lately, which is you got it, Rachel and the two of you. You just created a whole new question for at the table, but we have one question that we need to ask both of <gasps> yes, you. Yes, of course, of uh, course. It's uh, snack and we'll time. Start, we'll start with DC. DC, is there a snack that has been getting you through these quarantines, or just a favorite snack in general? If not, well, there's two things. There's whatever the white bag is that of popcorn that says that it's only like 43 calories a cup or something like that. That, whatever brand that is, it's, you know, <laughs> although it's the white bag, I grab it. Um, I, I try not to take too many of them because it's sharing, you know, it's, it's you know. So, but, but I always take, take my little glove underneath it because I always put it way up high and I just 
pop a couple of those babies forward, and I finish those off in a day and a half. And then there's uh, <laughs> and then chocolate, dark chocolate. So I have the popcorn, then I eat the dark chocolate because I say the dark chocolate is healthy. The popcorn is only 43 calories a cup, but I don't know how many cups is an entire bag, but I eat an entire bag of that and an entire bar of chocolate. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's fantastic. Popcorn coming in in the clutch. It is by far and away, there is almost no second place, um, the most... Uh, uh, Touched upon answer when we asked those questions really? over over three years. Uh huh. Absolutely. We've, we've been doing this podcast for a while, and there is almost always at least one popcorn answer per cast. Oh, it's fascinating. Great. It's our own personal social experiment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Morantz, do you have a snack that's getting you through these quarantines, or a favorite food snack in general? Well. A creature of habit that I am, my quarantine snacks are the same as my rest of the year snacks. Um, and I try to yeah. actually, I try to actually not snack much, but um, pretzels and specifically Great. there's two, yeah. there's two brands of pretzels. There's a brand called, I think they're called unique and they make something called splits uh, because they're right. Oh, splits are <gasps> incredible. And, so good. And they have uh, a particular, the, the whole grain splits are just fantastic. I've discovered them. I actually discovered them at a, like an outdoor food festival in downtown somewhere a bunch of years ago. And now they carry them at my local grocery. So I always buy them. Um, and there's, there's another, there's another brand of pretzels. I don't even know how to pronounce it. But it's spelled W E G E, Ouija, Wedgie. I don't know. But they're they're the big, thick sourdough pretzels, and I eat them too fast. Um, so, yes, I eat a lot of pretzels. My regular snack I have always have almonds and raisins in the house, and I have those little uh, fig bars that they you know the raspberry jam fig bars or blueberry fig bars or all that kind of thing. Um, nice. That's it. That's my snacking right there. I don't yeah. That's a good snack list. Yeah. You've chosen from kind of all the categories. You have this like really well-rounded snack preferences. I like this. Well, and now, uh, my so my father passed away three years ago. And what my inheritance from him was my sister likes to bake. And so she used to bake a lot of stuff for my father. Now she sends it to me. So I've been... So uh, over over Passover, I had homemade macaroons, which were wow. they were ridiculous. They were so damn good because she made like four different, five different flavors of homemade macaroons. And then last week, I had banana bread and homemade sourdough rye bread. And I might be getting something else this week because she's at home locked in and she's bored, so she bakes things and sends them to me. Shout out to your sister's baking. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Yes. No, absolutely. no joke. Man. No joke. She's actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, I'm so glad. Ned, uh, uh, anything new that you're snacking on this week? I got sourdough starter about a week ago, uh, two yeah. weeks ago. And uh, so I have been playing around with that. I haven't had a sourdough starter in a decade. Where do you get it? Uh, my girlfriend's sister-in-law mailed it to me. Yeah, somebody mailed it to me. David, give me your address. I'll mail you. We'll send you I'll some mail starters. Hundred percent. Is, is, is it like the only way to get sourdough starters? You have to get gifted sourdough starter from an existing colony. You can make it yourself if you have patience. I mean, yeah, you can make it, but it's a pain. Um, or you can get gifted it, which I kind of like. It's this very communal. Yeah, you get gifted a, a what is it called? A scoby. I feed it. I feed it twice a day. It's doing lovely. Uh, last night for. Last night for dinner, we had sourdough waffles, 
We had uh, sourdough pancakes. See, we're, so Rachel, that's my answer. Is that your answer as well? Well, yeah. I, I so one of the things that I found is that you immediately are like, oh my god, I did it. I am behold my world in front of me. I have <laughs> yes. made this I'm sourdough a, grow twice its size. I'm a pioneer. I'm a god. I, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and then the immediate second thought is, oh, how on earth am I going to use up this sourdough? <laughs> And so you look online for all the ways you can use it, and they're all very cool, but one of them is just a, it's listed as a crumpet recipe, but I love it because there's nothing else in it. You like scoop out some of the starter, you add some, a little bit of baking soda, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of salt, and then you put it in a pan and it becomes these bubbly, crumpety sourdough pancakes. They sort of taste like bellinis, um, uh, but like fluffier. Um, And so we've been having those with everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been, that's what I've been eating this week. We also, uh, I feel like this has been a, a common theme in the show, but we, we finally cracked the code on being able to get food deliveries this week. Um, we found a restaurant wholesaler that was delivering. So we finally have kind of like normal fruits and veggies and meats and things coming back to the apartment, which is awesome. So just been doing a lot of cooking. There's a, a restaurant, a small, it's like a wine bar up on Broadway, a little North of me at like. Um, well, I'm around, I'm around 190, 193 or something like that. And you go mm-hmm. below, I think it's below Dykeman Street, but closer up that way. There's this sort of a wine bar with a kitchen called Tannant, T-A-N-N-A-T, Tannant. And they had to close down, obviously. And what they did, and I haven't been there yet, but I've heard about it from other people. And actually, I saw an article about it in Gothamist, I think. Instead of just closing down or instead of just being delivery, because their food's not really delivery takeout style, because it's small plate stuff, right? But they have these relationships with all these, uh, you know, New York State farms and local produce people. So they became like a neighborhood subscription grocery thing where you could go there and and buy a share of a box of stuff or something. And I'm thinking of checking them out. That is so cool. Just like a little community. They became a community service of groceries, of produce and stuff. One other thing I have to mention. um, From the previous question of how one's getting through this particular uh, unique period in our collective history, is this. These things. These, like, Zoom things. It's nuts, but now... I've gotten, it's such an escape to sit in my room uh, with a couple of cans of Guinness pub draft and maybe a bottle of, <laughs> a bottle of whiskey and sit there for three hours and just bullshit with my friends on the computer. It's like, it's yeah. not the same as hanging out in a bar, but I didn't go to bars that often, but it's easy to schedule a meeting with people just to hang out for two hours and I'm not paying bar prices for beer um, and sorry for the loss of work <laughs> for those people. But if they're not going to be there and I can't go see friends, it's like, oh, right. I'm hanging out with people that I don't usually hang out with, which is like, huh, why don't we hang out more often? Because we'd have to arrange it. This, we just have to sit down at our kitchen table. It's uh it's re- it's reminded me that even when this is over, I intend on using Zoom to connect with people more because I do feel similarly. I'm connecting with a lot more friends. I'm cooking dinner and jumping on a FaceTime with someone while we're both in our kitchens doing whatever. Like I'm, I'm finding myself, because I feel so isolated, reaching out more. And in doing so, realizing if you just allow this technology to exist, even when this isn't happening, you can connect to people even when you're busy. You don't have to organize dates and times in the same way as you can by just like jumping on a Zoom for... 30 minutes. Yeah, and 
on top of that, we were talking about my friend, um, my, Joe and I the other day and my friend, Steven, how this is really going to change the way creative output is produced. There's going to be just more of this yeah. in the mix all the time. Now, this is going to be, oh, yeah. this yeah. is going to be another permanent little corner of the creative output world that it never was before. Um, thank you both so much for being here today. Really, sure. this was a this joy getting to check in with you both. Conversation. I have to give a shout out to the thing I'm currently working on that I was discussing with Ned earlier. Please. Um, my good friend Stephen Bittrick uh, is a, a writer, playwright. He used to live in New York. He now lives in Austin, Texas. But he created, he saw the moment and he saw the Zoom and he wanted to get in on it like everybody else and create something sort of timely and of the moment. We cr He created a web series that we're filming, capturing, basically on Zoom. The th it's called The Conspiracy Theorists. We shot the first episode. We're trying to figure out how to edit it and make it look better than it does. But the premise is a conspiracy theory club that has monthly Zoom meetings, and then during one of the meetings, one of their members dies right there in the middle of the meeting, and then the rest of the series is a sort of whodunit with reveals. So there's a lot to mine here. There's a lot to explore in this in a in a series about this. That's fantastic. So if you are interested in hearing a little bit more about this series, we will have a hopefully a link to it up on our website, uh, which we'll grab from David after this. Yeah, we're gonna try. We're gonna try to do an indie. Uh, we're shooting the first episode. He's got. It. We're gonna have a website. We're gonna have an Indiegogo campaign to try to like raise a little money to pay our actors oh, if amazing. we can, because that would be nice. Yeah. And, uh, Heck yeah. yeah. Oh, I love this. Yeah. Work in the time of work in the time of quarantine. I absolutely love this. We will have it linked on our website. Um, thank you both so so much for being here. Yeah, this is thank awesome. Thank you for having me. It's fun. Rock stars. Thanks, gang. You've been listening to At the Table, a play reading series produced by Charging Moose Media. We are hosted by Rachel Flynn and Ned Donovan. Our artistic director and senior producer is Rachel Flynn. Editor is Ned Donovan. Associate producer is Megan Bagala. Music by Marcus Thorne Bagala. Thanks to our cast, DC Anderson and David Morantz. To learn more about them, visit our website at chargingmoosemedia.com slash podcast. Be sure to listen to our full Playwright interview episode releasing next week. You can find us on social media at At The Table Plays. Please connect with us. See you next time.